This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey everyone, I'm B.A. Parker, and today I wanted to share with you a little treat from our friends over at It's Been a Minute. It's a fun conversation that I got to have with Brittany Luce after we went to watch Beyonce's Renaissance film. Now, I never got to see her live on tour, so seeing the movie was the next best thing. And it was, of course, Beyonce and all of her brilliance. And yet, I couldn't help but feel like I often do with her. Like I'm walking out of that experience knowing nothing about her at all. That's what Brittany and I got into in this episode of It's Been a Minute. So I'll let her take it away. Hello, hello. I'm Brittany Luce, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, a show about what's happening in culture and why it doesn't happen by accident. And listen, I am so excited. My moment has finally come. That's because Beyonce's Renaissance Tour film debuted last weekend. It topped the box office and all y'all who slept on the tour this past summer are finally tasting what you missed out on. Welcome to the Renaissance. I saw the very first show in Stockholm, Sweden back in May, and I have been waiting for more than half a year for y'all to get to see this. Can someone please pass me another microphone because we have things to talk about. It's a new birth. I hope you feel liberated. But the renaissance is not over. Everybody. I saw the film last Friday with B.A. Parker, one of the co-hosts of NPR's Code Switch. Okay, so I'm at um, the AMC Lincoln Square in Manhattan. As I was saying when I was coming in, I do not typically go to the Upper West Side on Friday night. But it's the IMAX. It's like the biggest IMAX in whatever. I saw it with her, number one, because she's my legit real-life friend, but also conveniently a fantastic film critic. And she hadn't seen the tour live. I wanted to see it with someone who was going to have the fresh eyes. Beyonce is wonderful. A crowd for Uncle Johnny. Blue did great. All the fits, fantastic. Mm -hmm. At some point, she did kind of look like Randy Savage. But besides that... I love it, though. I love it, though. It was fantastic. When the film ends, the credits make it very clear who is in charge. Written by Beyonce. Directed by Beyonce. Produced by Beyonce. Starring Beyonce. And that's what Parker and I are getting into today. A film by someone that is literally about themselves. What's in the movie is just as telling as what isn't. And we think that Beyonce, a woman who is known for her perfectionism and self-curation, is speaking just as loudly with what she shows as what she doesn't. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. 
FX is clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened, we tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. B.A. Parker. Hi, honey. Welcome back to It's Been a Minute. (laughs) It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. And I'm so excited to get into what we're going to be discussing today. The Renaissance film. I don't even know. What is the official title? Oh, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. You think that's the official title? Renaissance colon, a film by Beyonce is the official title of the film. What was Homecoming called? Homecoming, a a film by Beyonce? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually what it says. Homecoming colon. A film by Beyonce. So now that we've established the true title of the film, let me back up. I feel like overall what I watched was well done, high quality, and also definitely absolutely captured the spirit of the experience of seeing it live in concert. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was also a very effectively employed narrative throughout the documentary itself. For sure. That like definitely got my attention. I feel like one of the big takeaways that I had from the film was like, Beyonce as executive producer. She was trying to show us just how good she is, and she is damn good at mm-hmm. having a vision, communicating that vision, and then executing it. And still having people not listen to her while she's trying to be a boss. Yes. Can I ask you something, though? What? What did you learn that was new? So there was this moment Early on in the documentary where she's using footage from a concert where they lost sound and like part of the power went out Mm -hmm. and there was this kind of like disaster basically on stage, which would have prevented the performance from going on. And you see her sort of like go under the stage and she's trying to figure out like, okay, what song are we going to start with? Am I going to change into my costume? We have like three minutes or whatever. It was a very short period Mm -hmm. of time to be able to get everything back and moving. And the way that she was able to have that problem get fixed in such a short period of time and be able to move on to pretty much a seamless show, that impressed me. I was impressed at just how even like when the show went off course, they had all these contingency plans to get things back on. Mm -hmm. She is such a professional when it comes to performance and the precision of her performances. Like Mm -hmm. there's a very famous cut in the Homecoming documentary where the entire 
every performer on stage does like a jump turn. Yeah. And their costumes change from, I think, from yellow to pink or pink to yellow, whichever. And I didn't realize that was that big of a deal when I saw the documentary. But my husband, who's a documentary film editor, was like, wait, 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 wait. It's hard. We have to run that back. He was explaining to me how like it's so they would precise. have had to rehearse. Yeah, it's so precise. They would have had to rehearse not just the choreography and the set and all the logistics, but like every single camera angle, the speed at which the cameras are moving, the camera tracks, all the dolly tracks, like everything would have had to be exactly precise. And she had so many more cuts like that in this documentary, which yeah. I was expecting. Because I remember the whole like diva sequence. Yes, was, that's what it was. Was so good because it, it implemented that same yeah. idea. Yeah. What to you felt new in what you were watching? The massiveness of the tour. Mm. This took four years in the making. And I was like, damn, we ain't never going to get a part two <laughs> or a part three. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, this took four years. <laughs> I'm like, we not, there's going to be three more presidents before we get this next album. I think... What I love about Beyonce is the same thing that kind of frustrates me about mm-hmm. her. Because she's so curated. So mm-hmm. you, I, like, like I, I know everything and nothing at the same time. You said that right when we came out of the movie. <laughs> I feel like I, she has bared her soul and said nothing. I was like, I think <laughs> something profound happened. Can't tell you what it was. Like she no longer has to do interviews, which I mean, bless her because interviews. I I I have different thoughts about that, but continue. I, I'll share them, but continue. <laughs> but um, because it is so curated, and so from her perspective, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to be accountable for anything because she's in control of it. Bingo. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about in her not wanting to do interviews and things like that. She's a person who requests continuously inordinate amounts of the public's time, money, adoration, support, and by not ever engaging with the press at this point. Yeah. And like you said, having every single interaction with the public, like, sanctioned and designed by her. Yeah. It's like she's requesting all of these things from the public, but there's no way for us, for her to be held accountable for anything. To me, after a while, I feel like it can also absolutely harm your brand as well. I mean, like, as a fan, I mean, I don't find it satisfying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that, you know, that she's on social media and that she's aware of, like, what's happening in the zeitgeist or what's happening mm-hmm. in the world. Or, like, even just, like, notes from fans. Like, I mean, maybe that's why we saw maybe, like, three moments with Jay-Z and then the three-hour film. <laughs> where they were like... <laughs> Yeah, homecoming was great, but less of him. So, so she was like, "Bet this next one, we'll give you one scene of him talking, and that's it." You could have thought she was a single mother from watching it. Honestly, I like mean, you would have thought she had no husband. Like, I've been raising these three kids alone. It's hard out here. <laughs> <laughs> They're like jumping, jumping was the trip was like a goddess book that you wrote for us. Leave your man at home. And so she's aware of. So like, I don't know if I want to get political because i don't have any problem with that i'm just scared of these people so, okay so like when we have what's currently happening in the world right now uh-huh. and you know her film premiered in israel mm-hmm. for me there was this very big shift of 
Friday night, you and I go to the film, mm-hmm. have a great time. Mm-hmm. Saturday morning, wake up, you know, scroll through IG, of course, because I follow all these Palestinian reporters. Yeah, a lot of Palestinian journalists sharing like, you know, what they think are going to be their final messages on Earth. Yes. And yes. then that night, seeing all of these videos from the Israeli pre- premiere of people wearing the Israeli flag and singing you won't break my like break my soul and in the theater yeah in the theater and like it becomes like this galvanizing cry within the theater and I'm like there is a dissonance there's like a disconnect mm-hmm. that all these people are like Beyonce has this platform people are dying and they're like well she's a singer she can't like she's just a performer I'm like mm, yes and no she's a person who has curated a space has made herself a political figure whether she likes mm-hmm. it or not mm-hmm. I mean is there a cognitive dissonance between in her art that we don't want to dig deep in because she's Beyonce sure I mean the lady who dresses as a Black Panther on an NFL field and mm-hmm. says like you just may be a Black Bill Gates in the making which are two interesting different things yeah <laughs> like yeah. but it's a vibe because you're like i feel like i'm still gonna dance to beyonce yes yes but i have a theory for why it's so easy for this dissonance to happen like she's trafficked in these leftist political symbols and yeah. there are critics of hers on the left and also critics of hers from within her fan base who are looking at what's happening with israel and palestine and feeling like okay your silence on this topic is not congruent with the political imagery that you have used in your work and something that i have been thinking a lot about was like okay if this is beyonce's statement right yeah what is she trying to say to us about not just herself but also her politics and i felt like i came away from on friday night having watched the documentary i was taking notes and i was saying that like beyonce's politic to me is very much about celebration she used that word Mm -hmm. um joy is a theme that comes up a lot safe Um, space you said a lot safe space heal the world it's love it's a lot of these very sort of brand safe type of political messages one of the words i wrote down was palatable beyonce's politics as she puts them out through her art and through her public image are very much based in celebration joy and palatability and the thing is is that if your political message is palatable that usually means it's lacking specificity (laughs) and that's why if you know the song and lyrics you know break my soul are being co-opted by people whose politics are not you know what's considered leftist i think that's because her political messaging is always been so palatable and so general that anybody can project their values onto something that she's made. And I think that's what we've seen play out over, you know, the past weekend. And that's what so many of her, like I said, fans and critics have been engaging with. To be authentically yourself, to have an opinion that may get a response that some people may not love Mm -hmm. is okay. Listen, the thing is, is like, not only is Beyonce silent on matters of politics, she's also, as we've discussed, she's silent in general. I feel like, I don't know, she she doesn't really do interviews with the public at all anymore. And for the most part, she doesn't really interact with us, like, at all, unless she's trying to sell something. Um, And one of the things I keep thinking about is what is lost for not just the audience, but also like what the artist loses. I think that like, I don't know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently is that 
Um, and I was thinking about this before I saw the documentary on Friday, but like I'm getting to a point where I'm actually really irritated that Beyonce doesn't speak to the press anymore. <laughs> She's like, I can now lemonade time. I could understand kind of. Oh, for it's like, sure. That was she was going to get asked. Business. Yes, she was going to get asked all type of ignorant stuff. I do think though that like one of the things that I think helps to solidify a legacy is being able to coexist with critique. A part of what's made like the Killers of the Flower Moon run up to me mm-hmm. so intriguing and interesting as a topic. It's not just the film, which I think is very well done, but it's also the fact that like Martin Scorsese has been out there talking about the film, however imperfectly, while also being able to exist alongside the critique around the film. Yeah. And to me, even though I have some qualms about like the politics, the accuracy and the framing of some aspects of the film, mm-hmm. I can see that there's enough value there that I want to critically engage with it. And I think that's what's happening. And I think when you kind of cut people off from being able to actually critically engage with your work, which technically I think that's what she's doing Mm -hmm. by refusing interviews and also not saying that she weaponizes like her, like the hive necessarily, but the hive is activated to also push back on critique of her in a way that I think is unhealthy. I think ultimately it is going to harm her legacy and kind of keep her in this place where she's, merely a pop artist when actually I think creatively she's much more than that I was thinking about this earlier I know what she's saying because she is very direct in what she's saying Mm -hmm. on camera where she's like this is for my fans being a woman in this industry is hard like you know (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired of repeating myself and then like I love my kids (laughs) (laughs) this it's like literally (laughs) like a Beyonce soundboard you're absolutely right which is why the segment that was about Uncle Johnny. Oh, yes. Like her, her gay uncle who designed a lot of her clothes thing. and inspired mm-hmm. um, the tour, the album, and mm-hmm. everything was stood out the most to me and was the most affecting for me. Because I, mm. you know, like I, I cried during it. Like there was like um, something beautiful about it. But and, like, and, and ha- being able to, um, share that with the fans and like fans having sounds like uncle johnny made my dress like there's like this beautiful Mm -hmm. legacy to it and that is a political act that Mm -hmm. is something that i don't know if she would have been confident enough to highlight years ago so it's clear that she knows what her platform can do Mm-hmm. and what speaking out can do mm. and who that's for and being able to say yes this is a safe space this is for queer black and brown folk all folk to feel safe and be able to be their most authentic selves mm-hmm. even while to push back you're like but then why did you invite Kendrick Lamar <laughs> now see now see I didn't I'm sorry I've been saying that I've been wondering no I have been asking that question why did you invite Kendrick Lamar who has been not a friend, <laughs> thought of not as not a friend to the LGBTQ community for I mean, at least the trying, past year or so. But like the man, the, the but man, trying is not the, yeah, trying and safe space don't come together. But yes, yes, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but like so again, sometimes there is like a cognitive dissonance. <laughs> like is Beyonce on the right side of history? Very often, no. Uh, sometimes, yes. <laughs> But I mean, I'm just thinking, well, I'm thinking even about her collaboration with like Tiffany and co. Like, I mean, the, uh, I mm. like we've had some knowledge in the United States, especially among black people. Yeah. How diamonds are made and where they come from for Listen. some time. And so being like the first black woman to wear, you know, XYZ diamond from Tiffany, to me, it was a very twisted way of thinking about 
black firsts. <laughs> <laughs> she tries to be judicious to make the safest decision for herself. That's what I think. But safe decision for what? I think that you raise a very good point. This is somebody who knows how to use their voice. And so her strategic silence, whether with the press or in certain political moments where she feels like it may be unsafe, quote unquote, I think that her silence is also very telling. And as you said, like after dabbling in political imagery, she is a political figure now, whether or not she wants that. Yeah. Well, Parker, thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you. I had a blast, too. That was B.A. Parker, co-host of NPR's Code Switch. This episode was produced by Barton Girdwood and edited by Jessica Plachek. I'm Brittany Luce, and I'll be back Friday with another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. It was on all my report cards. All my report cards were like, talks too much in class. You want to know something? I want to go back and be like, how does it feel to silence a Black woman? We didn't. <laughs> Look at or me what, now. <laughs> what are you doing now? Oh, I host a show on NPR. So I was actually giving you actually free labor. I was entertaining you and the class. I mean, you stif- try to stifle my future trajectory. That's what I'm saying. And look at me. I made it anyway. Just like Beyonce. <laughs> oh, my God. With more and more information coming at you all day, every day, it can be hard to know where to focus. The new Consider This newsletter from NPR can be that focus. Every weekday afternoon, we take one of the day's biggest stories and break it down in a simple, skimmable format so you can get a better grasp of one important topic and what it means for you in a couple of minutes. Sign up for free at npr.org slash consider this newsletter. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. Numbers that explain the economy. We love them at The Indicator from Planet Money. And on Fridays, we discuss indicators in the news, like job numbers, spending, the cost of food, sometimes all three. So my indicator is about why you might need to bring home more bacon to afford your eggs. I'll be here all week. Wrap up your week and listen to The Indicator podcast from NPR.